This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Fred Gatchett talks about the 11th commandment, Be Not Afraid. Father Fred is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Cody Marincer. All right, Father Fred, are you on with us? I am here. Oh, wonderful to hear your voice, sir. It's been too long. Yeah, how you been doing, Cody? <laughs> been doing all right. I'm, you know how this goes. I'm, I'm actually going to let you, uh, if you would, lead us in prayer. I'll have a couple quick announcements, and then I'm just going to let you dive right into it if that works. Okay, we'll do our opening prayer here in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of David, we praise you. You taught us to value human labor through your own work as a carpenter. Bless our labors and bring success to the work of our hands. May everything we do begin with your inspiration and continue with your saving help. Let our work always find its origin in you, and through your reach, completion. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for that. Follow me. Okay. Well, uh, let's welcome Father Fred onto the show. Uh, Father Fred Gatchett is uh, our uh, Vicar General and Pastor of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina. He uh, he taught theology here in Hayes, was a pastor here in Hayes for many years. He teaches theology to sophomores at Sacred Heart High School. Uh, he's been a priest for 28 years, serving 10 of those years in uh, various capacities here in Hayes. Um, and then Father Fred was and also... I was there for yeah. 19 years. What are you talking about? Oh, 19. Well, I've, I'm just going off my notes here. I'm glad that you can... <laughs> Thank you for correcting me there, sir. Hey, feel free to correct me anytime you want. Uh, for those that don't know my story, Father Fred is part of the reason why I'm Catholic, so got to continue thanking him for that. But also, Father Fred was instrumental in helping Divine Mercy Radio get off the ground and running 11 years ago. Yeah, that would make sense if you were here for 19 years ago, since you helped get Divine Mercy um, going 11 years ago. So <laughs> now we can do the math a little bit. So Yeah, the time just goes by. All right. Well, you still teaching sophomores, too? Yeah, um, I've got uh, freshmen and sophomores now. It used to be sophomores and seniors, oh. but uh, yep, I'm I'm on the same page as you, teaching yeah, the sophomores. Man. Yeah, you. So too. how far? We just finished the first book of Samuel today. Uh, we're behind you a little bit. We're uh -huh. um, we're we're still um, at Moses because uh, I take a little while to get through stories. Yep. Yeah, those are good stories. That's the nice thing about having a Catholic school. You can take your time getting through them. But yes, right. So. <laughs> well, Father. But anyway, we're going to leave yeah, it up to ahead. you and just let you uh, take off running. Well, you know, the, the topic of be not afraid, you know, you, you, if you go through the Bible, and if you just talk to the, you know, someone that's just, maybe just has sort of have a, has a casual kind of a cursory relationship with the scriptures, they'll say, well, you know, the Bible tells you how to live your life, which that's one of the many, many things it does, you know, it gives us good guidance for living and so on, and then, you know, of course, a lot of people in, in our, in our I shouldn't say our rebellious age, because humanity has been in rebellion against God ever since the Garden of Eden. Yeah. But, um, but this idea that, um, well, you know, but the Bible just has all those thou shalt nots, you know, and tells us, you know, we really basically can't have a good time, you know, and telling us, that, you know, putting limits on how much we drink or, you know, putting limits on people's sexual behavior or making us feel guilty because we want to acquire wealth, you know, all those kind of things. And it's like, well, you know, people that think that, they don't really understand their scriptures very well. But the thing is, 
is that if you if you go through the scriptures, you know there you know the the you know the commandments to honor our father and mother. I mean, you know that says it very succinctly in the fourth commandment. But then, let like, you go to the book of Sirach, and um, the book of Sirach tells us that you know that kindness to a to a father, especially in his old age when his mind is failing, will count against our sins on the day of judgment. And that you know the one who honors his mother honors God. You know, and so you you have the Ten Commandments kind of summarizing things, but then. In other parts of the scriptures, it expands upon it and, 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 you know, kind of, you know, fleshes it out a little bit more to help, you know, help us understand things a little bit better. And so, you know, you'll, you know, there's, you know, you've got the, the commandment, you shall not steal, but then there's also stories and parables and stuff about dishonest people and how they shouldn't do that, you know, or, you know, the, the first commandment of not committing idolatry. I mean, the whole Old Testament is full of disastrous stories of people who flirted with idolatry and so on. And so, you know, someone could say, well, you know, in the scriptures, you know, it's just full of all these thou shalt nots, which is true to a certain extent. But there's what I call the 11th commandment floating through the entire Bible, Old and New Testament. And that 11th commandment is do not be afraid. And if you, if you, if you research it somehow, I mean, you can, you can vary the formulations a little bit from do not be afraid to fear not, um, to do not fear, you know, things like that. But the Bible is just littered with God repeating that phrase over and over and over again. Do not be afraid, fear not, do not fear, and so on. You know, I mean, I, we, could, we could spend the rest of the day. Um, I've just got a, a couple of you know, goodies here from the Old Testament. You know, in Psalm chapter 3, verse 6, I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. You know, um, in, in, Psalm, in Psalm 91, you will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day. That's you know one of the one of the songs we sing in church all the time. Isaiah, you know, God you know, God says to Isaiah, do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. Or, you know, um, Isaiah goes on to say, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. I mean, it just goes on and on. I mean there, there there's all kinds of stuff in here um, about, you know, not being afraid. When you get to the New Testament, you know, the, um, in the Gospels, we'll just go through the Gospels in order, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The angel tells the women in the Gospel of Matthew when they come to the tomb. You know, they, you know, they come to the tomb and they see the stones roll back. And what's the first thing the angel says to them? Do not be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, then Jesus appears to them after the angel does. And the first thing he says to them is, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to go to Galilee. There they will see me. When the archangel Gabriel shows up to um, Zechariah, when um, you know he, they're going to, um, when the angel Gabriel is going to tell Zechariah about him being the father of John the Baptizer, when Zechariah is in the temple, what does the angel say? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. You and your wife will have a son. You'll call him John. And then, when the angel appears to Mary, the first thing he says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Whenever um, Jesus, we had this in the first reading, in the gospel reading today from the Feast of St. Andrew, whenever Jesus appears to you know, Simon and to James and John in the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Do not be afraid, henceforth you will be catching men, you will make you fishers of men. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 6, when Jesus is walking on the water, 
he tells the guys, do not be afraid. You know, so, I mean, th- this is just through the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, these constant reassurances not to be afraid. And uh, I think we have to ask ourselves, well, where's all the fear coming from? And maybe it's just kind of part of our um, our human nature that um, we we maybe we just like to be afraid. I don't know. It looks like we look for reasons to be afraid. There there was a, a bunch of them that I kind of I had these kind of going through my mind, and then I kind of dug them up on the internet to make sure I had the dates down right and everything. The you know kind of some common you know fears that we've had. If you some of you might remember back in the year 2000, that was 21 years ago in the yeah. year 2000. I was still here in Salina on my first tour of duty here. I was here from 1993 to 2000. And from about December 28th of 1999 until January 4th or 5th of the year 2000, I was in Mexico. I was visiting a family, a friend of mine, some friend of mine's family down there. And, um, and you might remember during the year 2000, it was Y2K, Y2K. Oh, you know, the computers are all going to fail. You know, the com- they didn't write the software far enough ahead to handle the clocks and the calendar switching over to the year 2000, and all the computers are going to fail, the electricity is going to shut off, the airplanes are going to fall out of the sky, and we're all going to die. <laughs> yep. And um, you know, and when I remember when I was in Mexico, the funny thing was, the way the Mexicans were dealing with Y2K is everybody was hoarding propane. I, I didn't understand that, you know, but you know, um, in, a lot of, in the little town that I was in, they don't really have natural gas being piped directly to your house like we have here, but everybody has these propane bottles. And um, pretty good size ones, too. They're about, you know, probably about a foot and a half in diameter, about four feet tall. And a, a truck will come around and switch your propane bottle out for you. So you have propane for your, you know, for cooking and things like that. And everybody was hoarding bottles of propane. And, um, and the, so there was a propane shortage, you know, because everybody thought, well, you know, if, if everything goes to hell in Y2K, you know, I'm going to have plenty of propane. I guess they figured that would save them. Now, before you laugh too much at that, wait till it gets to 2021 because it gets even better. But then... So that was 2000. Year 2001, there was the terror attacks by the Muslims in, in New York City when they flew the airplanes into the World Trade Center, killed all those people. And then in the aftermath after that, remember, there was anthrax. And, um, you know, people were, you know, people were afraid that you'd get an envelope and have a bunch of white powder in it or something, and that white powder was anthrax. And, you know, everybody was afraid to open their mail because anthrax is going to kill us all. And then in 2002, it was the West Nile virus. You know, hopefully some of our listeners are remembering some of these things. Mm-hmm. The West Nile virus, you know, transmitted by mosquitoes, that was going to kill us. In 2003, it was SARS. I forgot what SARS stands for, S-A-R-S. And that's going to kill us. In 2005, it was the bird flu was going to kill us all. In 2006, there was the E. coli outbreak. E. coli was going to kill us all. In 2008, remember the financial collapse of 2008, you know, when the um, the yep. bottom dropped out of the stock market, and there was all, all that brouhaha. And, oh, yeah, we're never going to recover from this. The Great Depression, we're all, you know, our goose is cooked, you know. Um, in 2009, it was the swine flu that was going to kill us all. In 2012, the Mayan calendar had predicted the world was coming to an end. In 2013, North Korea was going to start World War III. In 2014, the Ebola virus, you remember that one? Oh, Ebola is going to go around the world and kill everybody. In 2015, it was ISIS, you know, the terrorists. Again, they're going to kill us all. In 2016, the Zika virus, okay? And then in 2020, again, remember, we thought that was so funny. You know, it's like you almost think, well, that sure is kind of silly, the Mexicans to hoard propane. What was everybody hoarding in 2020? Remember trying to find a package of toilet paper? (laughs) You know? You'd go 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 into, I remember I went to the Walmart here in Salina, went to Sam's here in Salina. Heck, it looked like one of those stores from the former Soviet Union. 
you know, everything was just stripped off the shelves, you know, because, oh, you know, coronavirus is going to kill us all, you know, so I got to stock up on, I guess if I have 15 packages of toilet paper, um, I'm, I'm a, I'll be protected against the coronavirus, you know. Yeah, I didn't so, understand that one because kind of funny thing is, you know, as a father of seven children, I go to the store and I actually need one of those big packages of toilet paper. Sure. <laughs> and so I'm actually in need of it and I'm going to the store and I'm like, Listen, what the heck is hoarding toilet paper going to do for you? <laughs> I actually yeah. need this stuff. <laughs> anyway, but sorry. It, it's just it's the irrationality of the fear, you know. And, and I guess the question at hand is, is why do we buy into it? And um, so, you know, you, you, look at, you look at all these things, and you look at, you know, all those things I talked about over the past 20 years. And if you could go, you know, back in time, you know, to, you know, the, to, you know, 2016, you know, every talking head on Fox and CNN and MSNBC and stuff, oh, the Zika virus, Zika virus, you know, if you just give the media something that, that, that gives them a little quick little soundbite thing, you know, talking, you know, anthrax, Zika virus, coronavirus, you know, something they can just, you know, repeat over and over again and that they can get all these idiot journalists that don't know anything and make all of a sudden make them sound kind of authoritative about things, then they're going to run with it for as long as they can. I think one of the, uh, when we look at the whole fear thing, the, there, there's sort of two things behind it, I think. One is with the media. And the first thing to understand about the media, I think, is, you know, people will say, well, you know, we have to have the media, we have to have freedom of the press because it's the press, you know, it's the investigative arm of the press that's keeping us all safe from, you know, corrupt government people and corrupt business people and so on. And we have to have the press to, well, it's like, well, okay, maybe. Um, but the thing is, is that the media in this country is a profit-driven enterprise. And I'm all for profit-driven enterprises because that's what makes the world go around. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, I don't care who your favorite media outlet is, whether it's CNN or Fox or MSNBC or ABC or NBC or CBS or whatever, they are all in the business to sell advertising. That's all there is to it. They have to demonstrate to their advertisers that if you spend your advertising dollars with us, we will be able to get the name of your product or your service out there so people will come and buy stuff from you. And the, and the, way, we, the way we prove that to you is showing you our ratings and things like that. And the way we get our ratings is by propagating fear because people, you know, fear sells. And so, you know, people will tune in to hear about the latest threat to their well-being, and then they'll run to your store and buy all the toilet paper off your shelf. And so, it, you know, it, it's, just, it's just insane. The other thing I think that generates fear is governments, corrupt governments, because um, populations that are in fear are populations that are easy to control. And, um, and uh, you know, I think, you know, especially our, our particular government is nothing really to write home about right now. I think most people know that, you know, Congress's approval rating is way down there in the tank and has been so for quite some time, you know, around 20 percent, sometimes even lower of people that approve of what Congress is doing. I mean, 80, around 80% disapprove, and, um, and there they are desperately trying to, to prove their relevance and the way, they prove, the way they prove that we should take them seriously and, and think that they're somehow relevant is to keep everybody in fear. And so as long as everybody's afraid and then they're looking to the government to keep us safe somehow, then you know, they keep their jobs and you know, people think they're relevant. So again, I think that it's, you know, it's basically kind of a, a double effort on the part of the media and, and government to keep people in fear because because fear sells and fear keeps people under control. 
so um, that that's kind of my you know my first you know kind of piece that I would talk about. Going to the media a little bit, a while back I I stored up a bunch of headlines. And actually, I, I was going to get more recent ones, but actually going to these ones from 2020 are um, I think is going to make the point even more. These are from headlines from USA Today, the New York Times, the Huffington Post, you know, and things like that. And the thing is, I'm going to go through some of these, and if you listen really carefully, you're going to find you know sort of the key word or concept or phrase or whatever that kind of tells you what's going on. This one came from USA Today from April 16th of 2020. It says, mega drought emerging in the western U.S. might be the worst in any in 1,200 years. New York Times, a gloomy prediction of how poverty could rise. Um, American City Business Journal, Boeing might have to have its commercial production. Huffington Post, Lou Dobbs floats war with China as a consequence for coronavirus. The BBC, April 17, 2020. The coronavirus, Africa could be the next epicenter, World Health Organization warns. So again, you just kind of go through these, and what do you see? Well, I see words like might be, um, could be, might have to have, floats. Again, some of the Lou Dobbs floats this idea. The thing is, is none of these, they don't know. And so if you, if you were to sit there, I've always kind of thought that if I could talk to Bishop and let me take a sabbatical, what I want to do is go to a library somewhere. I want to go back and I want to dig up all these headlines that I read like when I was in college. Because when I was in college, I was a news junkie. And over the course of any particular day, I might read through four or five newspapers. And every week when Time Magazine came out and Newsweek Magazine came out, I just read them cover to cover. And I would like to go back and look at some of these stories that they ran back then and follow through with it and go, hmm, you know, they got a lot of these things wrong. I mean, just kind of painting in, in, in broad strokes. Um, I, in the 1970s, I remember they were telling us that there was going to be another ice age in 10 years. In the 1980s, acid rain was a big thing. Acid rain is going to destroy all the crops in 10 years. And, of course, we're all going to starve to death. Also in the, in the 1970s and the 1980s, I remember when I was in high school, in my junior year, when I from 1978 to 1979, it was subtle science. I like that term they use these days, subtle science, that um, all the oil was going to be gone by 1985. You know, we would be reduced back to horses and buggies by 1985 because all the oil was going to be gone. And um, Or, you know, one of the ones back in the 80s was the Japanese. You know, the, the media was fear-mongering about how you know, oh, Japan's on the roll. You know, the biggest banks in the, in the world right now are Japanese banks. And, you know, Japanese, there's no stopping Japanese industry. It's going full speed ahead. And the reason why is because, according to the American journalists, you know, the Japanese were good little socialists. You know, that um, by the Japanese, you know, if you, if you have a job with a Japanese company, with, you know, Mitsubishi or, you know, whoever, you know, these various companies, that if you have a job with one of these companies, you are taken care of for life. And so, and, and these greedy American companies, all they care about is making money. And so for this reason, you know, the Japanese are going to eat our lunch. Well, the thing is, the past 25 years, the Japanese have been in kind of a recession. You know, and, and, and so, you, again, you, you go back in, into, the, into the 80s, like when I was in college, and, you know, the, the media people were, were selling us on this fear that, you know, the Japanese are going to take over everything and Americans are going to be left in the backwaters of history. And during those times, you know, we've prospered. So, you know, kind of what's going on there? You know, in the 90s, they told us the ozone was going to be gone. We're all going to be dead. 
in the 2000s. The ice caps are going to be gone in 10 years. Remember good old Al Gore and his global warming hoax and things like that? You know, none of those things ever materialized. And so I think we kind of have to ask ourselves why we keep falling for it. Because, um, again, in the, in the kind of the quiet backdrop of all this noise of, you know, we need to be, you know, f- be afraid that um, all these bad things are going to happen, you know, you've got God, the Father, primarily in the Old Testament, and Jesus in the New Testament saying, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, fear not, do not fear. And I guess the question at hand is, when you've got God telling you do not be afraid, and you've got the government and media telling you to be afraid, why do we want to listen to the media and why do we want to listen to the government instead of listening to God? doesn't make much sense to me. Great points, Father. Uh, That's absolutely stellar stuff to start with, because one of the things, as you were talking about all of these um, fear-mongering tactics, one I know that has popped up um, and has crept a lot into um, Catholicism, too, is overpopulation. And there have been several guys throughout throughout the last hundred years who really championed this. Um, And I think the overarching uh, driving fear behind it is if we can get people to fear overpopulation, they'll buy into um, our contraceptive abortion policies. Um, and, and I know I don't know if that's necessarily where you wanted to go or not, but that's something that definitely hit my mind um, as to how those did not materialize, but yet is one of those fear-mongering tactics. Well, yeah, there was old Thomas Malthus, who was a British chap back in the, gosh, I want to say the 1870s, but I'm not totally sure on that. If any of your, if any of your listeners want to look for there, there's a great series of little illustrative kind of... Um, they're not really cartoons, but they're illustrative kind of thing. If you, if you just go to overpopulationisamyth.com, it's all one word, overpopulationisamyth.com. And, um, and they, they, they go through this, and they, they talk about how, how Thomas Malthus, back in the 1870s, and of course this is all kind of in the, in the, in the aftermath of the, of the scientific revolution of the, of the endarkenment, which some people call the Enlightenment. And... Um, the thing to remember is, you know, people, you know, once they started, you know, we discovered calculus and math, and we could mathematically model things and so on. You know, you had people sitting down with these, with these equations and stuff and going, oh, my gosh, food production at best is linear, and populations grow exponentially, um, which means populations make a steep curve going up, and food production just kind of makes a line. And eventually, the, the curving line intersects with the straight line, and there, that's where you have just enough food for just enough people. But then the, the population line zooms way off the chart, while the linear line just kind of keeps creeping along, and then you've got you know, global you know, wars for food and water and stuff because there's not going to be enough and there are too many mouths to feed. Well, well Thomas Malthus, you know, he proffered that um, back in the 1870s. I think he said that by 1920, we were all going to be dead. And, um, of course, that didn't really materialize, now, did it? Then a guy named Paul Ehrlich, I think his name was Ehrlich, from Stanford University, um, he started the whole thing again, I think, up in the 1970s. And um, the, this was all kind of in keeping with, like you say, with the, you know, the recently um, adopted birth control pill, which came out in the early 1960s. And then, of course, with the abortion disaster um, decided by the Supreme Court in 72, they had to justify all this stuff, and so Ehrlich from from Stanford is saying the same thing. You know, well, you know, the the, the population is going to grossly outstrip food production, and then we're all we're we're going to be ripping each other's throats out, you know, for fighting over that last ear of corn or whatever. And you might notice that never materialized. 
In fact, I, I saw a pretty good cartoon the other day. Um, it had, remember the old, the old Greta Thunberg? Yes. You know, the, you know, <laughs> yes. the gal that's always hooting, you know, the teenage girl that all of a sudden is the global climate expert. Yeah. And, um, and she, they, had, they had a picture of her going, well, you know, the cl- climate change is going to be irreversible, and, you know, we're, we're all going to be, you know, she's never going to be dead, but she has this doomsday scenario. And, you know, in the next 10 years, and then below it, it says Al Gore. There's a picture of Al Gore. He says, I've been saying that for the past 30 years. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, but it's all, it's all fear-mongering. And, um, you know, you look at all these people that are, you know, oh, we have science behind it now, and they, they ran computer models and, you know, so on. And it, it just, it's not, wor- it's not happening. And, you know, I'm not saying that we just throw caution to the wind and, you know, we don't care about this stuff. I mean, these things have to be studied and managed and so on. But... To, to allow ourselves to be, you know, led around by the nose and, and just led through fear and believing in this stuff. I just don't know why we're doing it. That is a great point. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. You'll want to hear the rest of Father Fred Gatchett's show on the 11th Commandment. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture on Divine Mercy Radio. The 11th Commandment with Father Fred Gatchett. Cody Marincer conducts the interview. And Father, let's get back to you. Well, if your kids just got back to Mo- got through Moses, they should know this one. Uh, we're we're just yeah we're talking about the Ten Commandments and doing a couple different things um, as you were kind of talking earlier and as some other talks have gone um, it is kind of funny because I just asked him uh, I mentioned this earlier are the Ten Commandments a uh, wire fence around the prison or a uh, fence around the playground so uh, yeah are are the Ten Commandments something that's burdensome that holds you back that makes you fear um, in a, in an improper way or are they something that actually gives you true freedom and so, yep. Well, like I said, you know the the that underlying. I, you know, talk about the Ten Commandments. I, say, I call it the Eleventh Commandment, and the Eleventh Commandment going through Scripture is, "Do not be afraid." Yep. And um, I guess you know the other thing. I, you know, probably all of us have, would have to confess to um, you know maybe we bit on the the bait and the hook of the, of the media. You know, you know, oh my gosh, you know, we, you know some of these things we you know about the Zika virus and the bird flu or Y two K or whatever. But also, we probably have to confess that there's been just personal things, like, you know, something happens at work, and it's just like, oh, my gosh, how's this going to impact my job? Or something happens at home, and it's like, oh, you know, how's this going to affect my family, you know, and so on. And we get, we get all worried about it, and we get our underwear all tied up in a knot. But then, you know, a week later, it's just like, well, that little bump just kind of went away, or that storm kind of blew over and everything, and then we're cruising on to something else. And we don't look back and take the time to go, you know, why did I allow myself to get, you know, get such a stomach ulcer over what this guy said at work? You know, or why did I let myself go get so worked up, you know, you know, that, you know, the school called and, you know, gave me a bad report about my kid or whatever. And, you know, I was all bit out of shape about it. But, you know, heck, we got through it. I mean, you know, it's, it's all good. You know, it'll, it'll work out. And, um... You know, the, I guess what the deal is, we kind of see in hindsight 
you know, that we'll go, well, that wasn't really worth getting so upset about. But how many of us, and the answer is, I'll tell you right now, the answer is very few, and it don't include me. How many of us have the forward sight that when we're in the middle, you know, of some kind of a storm of some kind, to go, you know, let's just cool our jets here. You know, God is in control. He said, do not be afraid. This will be okay. I wonder how many of us are, you know, able to do that. And again, my, I think my answer is very few. I think but, I would have um, to agree with you that um, myself included. I know that uh, I overhype things uh, too much. Well, I say, you know, kind of continuing on, you know, I had some of these other little choice headlines that, um, that, I, that I had saved. They were talking about um, why, why I returned to normal. This is back, you know, after the, you know, when the coronavirus started. Why I returned to normal could mean disaster for the stock market. Sean Logal Lang, Langloy, I guess, from Market Watch. Now, see, I would love to call old Sean Langloy up from Market Watch and say, hey, pal, remember back in April 22nd, 2020, you know, you wrote this article how the return to normal could be a disaster for the stock market. And actually, as we were getting back to normal, the stock market's been doing pretty well. You want to comment on that? I don't know if they, if they would or not. Capitalism as we know it will likely be changed forever. And nine other long-lasting implications of coronavirus, according to billionaire Leon Cooperman, you know, will likely be changed forever. Well, Leon, how's it being changed? I mean, you know, how bad might it get? Think the Great Depression, says Noah Smith from Bloomberg, April 22nd, 2020. So if the, if the coronavirus marks the collapse of civilization, will we know? Experts weigh in. Hannah Kaiser, you know. It's it, it's just goofy, you know. The the you know you just kind of make these you know out you know just crazy outrageous statements, and nobody ever checks them on it, you know, because it's just like well, we just sort of we 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 stir up the pot here, you know, get everybody you know to you know get everybody's stomach all tied up in knots, and then we just go on to the next one, and no but nobody ever goes back and says well wait a minute you know last year you told us this and you were dead wrong, and now you're telling us this this year. Why should we believe you? But because nobody ever goes back and looks at the stuff that was said a long time ago, they just kind of, it's kind of like a drive-by shooter. They just kind of go by and shoot something up and then go on to the next one and shoot something up. And I'm never, you know, then, you know, we never really go, you know, kind of call these people into accountability and say, you know, you really got a lot of people upset. Or, I mean, sometimes, you know, people even lose money, you know, and with, um, I'm really always been kind of being, I'm getting more and more um, disappointed in the fact that the stock market doesn't seem to run off data. It runs off hype and psychology. And um, it just takes one person to make the wrong comment, and all of a sudden the stock market tanks and a bunch of people lose a bunch of money. And, you know, these could be retirees losing their retirement funds, not because of any objective you know, happening that, that you know, somebody losing a bunch of money or a, or a business or an industry going you know, underwater or something like that, but just because somebody whispered something that made a bunch of investors nervous and because of fear, even though God says, do not be afraid, because of fear, you see the people on the trading floors, sell, sell, sell. I got to get my money and get out so I can sit on my pile of money because that'll keep me safe the way toilet paper and propane do. And it's, it's just goofy. I mean, I'm just kind of at a, at a loss as to how to explain it. But it's, it all comes down to fear and the irrational nature of fear. And against all that, again, God and Christ saying, do not be afraid. And if, if only we could take them at that simple, um, simple piece of advice.
Yeah, I would say that um, you're right on there, and I wonder if some some of that fear mongering uh, may be driven then uh, by um, obviously the society that we live in, where everything is just momentary. Uh, you know, we have to be uh, we have to be pleased at all moments. We can't have any downtime. We can't have um, any quiet time. You know, everything has to be what's going to give me pleasure in this next moment. Um, and if I can't find it, I'm just going to move on. Um, and so I, I happen to wonder, Father, and maybe your, your quick thoughts on this. Are some people even kind of addicted to the fear? What would you say to that? What do you think? Well, again, I think it's part of the, you know, back, back in the day, you know, if I just turned 60 last month or earlier this month. And so some of us can remember the, the dark ages of a 19-inch black-and-white TV and three channels. And back in those days, you got your news by turning into the evening news with Uncle Walter Cronkite. Or you, if, you, if you lived in a town that had a morning newspaper, you got your news in the morning. If you lived in a town that had an evening newspaper, you got your news in the evening. But basically, you got about a half an hour's worth of news on the evening news. Um, there'd be the local news. You could catch that at 10 o'clock at night or whenever they had that. And then there'd be the newspaper. And so you could sit down and go through your evening newspaper and watch the evening news, and, you know, you'd be done. Well, now it's all 24-7. And since it's 24-7, number one, number two, since it's for profit, you know, and then number three, then since it's 24-7 and for-profit and you have to have something to run 24-7 that will attract people to watch so that they can sell advertising, like I said, fear sells. And, um, you know, it, it, it used to be, I remember, when, I remember when CNN first came out, it came out right in the heights of my news junkie days. I'm thinking, this is great. I, anytime I want, I can, like, I come home from school and I got 20 minutes before I have to go to work, I can turn CNN on, watch 15, 20 minutes of CNN, catch the, you know, the news and head off to school and that's all well and good. Now, though, with all that stuff going 24-7 and now with people on their phones, picking their, you know, people can't even, I remember when I was at Fort Hayes, you know, kids couldn't even walk to class without pulling those dang phones out looking at them. And I think it's just this desire for something constantly new. And, um, and, and, and if the, something that's constantly new can have a, a little dash of fear mixed in with it, well, then so much the better. You know, I, I think that helps sell it, and it helps sell advertising and all the other kind of stuff people are looking for. Um, so, uh, Father, I, I think we've had absolutely just a wonderful uh, um, thoughts to start with um, and uh, get us through most of this hour as to um, uh, why fear-mongering takes uh, takes control of us, how it happens, um, and maybe help us to start understanding the culture around us. Um, if we start understanding that, where, where do we move from there? What are your next thoughts on this issue? Well, again, the thing with, with especially like whenever God shows up, and God talks to people, like, you know, again, you know, the angel tells Zechariah, tells Mary, do not be afraid. In the Acts of the Apostles, um, there's a couple of chapters there where, where Paul is getting his um, marching orders clarified by God a little bit, and God's saying, you know, Paul, go back to Jerusalem. Paul, go here. And, and God tells Paul, do not be afraid. Well, the thing is, you stop and think about it. Whenever God comes up and asks people to do stuff, when, you know, when you look through the Scriptures, and you look at when, you know, God asks Moses to go back to Egypt, you know, to get the people out. Well, Moses knows the social and economic and political scene in Egypt and everything. He knows what it's like to deal with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's his, you know, his, his, his what do they call him, stepbrother or foster brother or something like that. Um, 
And and so God goes, yeah, Moses, just head on back to Egypt and get those people out. And Moses goes, you got to be kidding. You know, how am I going to know? And God says, oh, it's very easy, Moses. You know, once you get the people out, you'll come and worship me on this mountain. And I, you can imagine Moses going, yeah, right. <laughs> that, that's really convincing, God, you know. But the point is, is whenever God comes up and asks people to do stuff, you know, he's asking them to do things that are probably going to put themselves in a tremendous amount of danger. Um, because he, you know, the as Archbishop Fulton Sheen said, you know, ever since the apple core hit the bushes, the creation has been in rebellion against God. And C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, you know, that part of the of the Christian enterprise is to lay down our arms and admit that we have been on the wrong side. Because in the meantime, with everybody in rebellion against God, anyone that gets up and says, nope, you know, God wants me to do this and I'm on God's side, we're going to find ourselves in direct opposition to the better part of the culture, and as Jesus says, beginning in our own families. You know, because he says, you know, I have not come for unity, but for division from now on. Now on a household of five will be divided, three against two and two against three, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Everybody's heard all that. And so, you know, the thing is, is, you know, when the Archangel Gabriel shows up and tells Mary, I mean, think about this. I want you to be the mother of the Savior of the universe. Oh, yeah, sure. You want pepperoni or sausage with that? I mean, I mean, you know, talk about a, you know, I mean, you know, the most earth-shattering, you know, request that someone could make. And, um, you know, and the, so the first angel said, do not be afraid. And, you know, this really kind of shows a blessed mother. I mean, this young girl that she was had to have been someone of a of, of very tremendous, um, you know, a, a person of deep prayer and, and a, a reflective woman that spent a lot of time just kind of reflecting on things and thinking about things. So that, number one, she would, you know, it, that whenever the angel showed up, she wouldn't have to go, wait a minute, explain that to me again. I don't, you know, you want me to do what? You know, instead, she goes, well, be a mother. I know how babies are made. I haven't been with a man. How am I going to be a mother? Well, Holy Spirit will take care of that. Hmm. Well, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. I mean, what a, what, you know, we've heard this story so often. We, you know, I think the, the magnitude of it just escapes us. Because, you know, here you have someone who, who should be, you know, scared to death. And she's just listening to it and taking it in and going... Okay, I'll do it. In fact, I, I heard a, a reflection one time. I forgot who, who came up with it, but I thought it was pretty clever. They said that at the Annunciation, if you could have gone up to the angel Gabriel, and, you know, there's angel Gabriel standing there in all of his majestic angelhood or whatever, and, um, but if you would have pulled back his little robe, you'd have seen his knees were just shaking. Because if anybody was afraid, it was Gabriel. That's because Gabriel no. knows what it's like when people, when God asks people to do stuff, they usually say no, <laughs> you know. And so, what happens if this girl says, "I'm not going to be no mother and no savior. I got other things to do," you know? Well, then, what would have happened to the world's salvation if she would have said no? And so, um, you know, the you know, if I say if anybody was scared, if anyone was had had fear, it was the archangel Gabriel. But nonetheless, you know, again, I think that you know, when God asks people to do stuff. They're afraid, but they're afraid for a good reason, because whenever God people ask people to do stuff, you know, it, it, it usually doesn't turn out well for them. You know, poor old Moses showing the book of Numbers, you know, chapter 11, when he says, this is the way you're going to treat me, Lord, kill me now and get it over with, you know. So it's, um, you know, it is a pretty tough road to hoe, but nonetheless, you know, those who, 
engage it and stay with it to overcome their fear, you know, God does get them through it. He he doesn't make it smooth sailing, but he gets them through it. He always promises to do that, and he always does. So true. Maybe you could tell me which saint was it that, uh, I don't remember if they were riding a horse and fell off or whatever it was and said, well, God, if this is the way you treat your friends, no no wonder you have so few. That was St. Teresa of Avila. Um, I I think the story was that she was on her way to found another convent. And they had to get across a um, a, um, a river that had kind of swollen. It had been a lot of rain and it had kind of swollen up. And they were kind of walking along the bank, and then they had a, cor- a horse and a cart, and the horse and the cart fell in, then St. Teresa fell in, and the people were there with, and they're, they're trying to pull him out. And then that was her famous line, Lord, if this is the way you do she, she, she goes, I told his majesty. She always refers to God in the third person as his majesty. <laughs> I told his majesty, if this is the way his majesty treats his friends, it is small wonder he has so few of them. So. <laughs> well, thank you, Father, for that. So, Father, you have uh, given us some amazing things to st- uh, to think about, to talk about, and uh, we've got about oh, 10, 12 minutes left. Uh, what are you going to hit us home with? Well, again, I think it's like anything else. You know, good old C.S. Lewis one time, he had a, in, again, in mere Christianity, he had kind of an interesting line of thought. And he said that if, you know, if we can't actually be charitable and, and be forgiving and, 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 you know, be it, he goes, just act like it. And um and he, and he say he goes now he goes you might you look back and you look back on that and say well no but isn't that being fake isn't that being a hypocrite if I'm just acting like it and he says no he says because if we act like it eventually we will be it yeah and so maybe the thing to do is just act like we're not afraid and um and then eventually maybe we'll overcome it and we won't be afraid. Yeah, I've so, thought um, about that. I, I agree. I read that book. I'm, I, I've read it several times. I love it. And 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 I agree. I think. What he was getting to, too, was, yeah, maybe not just the point of just completely fake it, but I think he says in there um, what he means is if you were to love, let's say that you um, take somebody that you're angry at or that you're harboring hate, if you were to love them, what would you do? And then do that. And then that's what you'll find, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, if I was to do that, what would I do? Um, And then as I start doing that, I'll actually find that, oh, wait a minute, I actually am loving this person now. Ah. Yep, yep. <laughs> okay, well, Father, thank you so very much for your time. I, I appreciate you being on here with us today. Uh, you're, you're always a wonderful voice for us, uh, a uh, uh, kind of a light in the darkness, a voice that speaks truth, and we need more of that. I was wondering if uh, you could leave us with your blessing today. Only if you promise this summer we get the kids out to the lake at least once. I, I would love to do that. My kids, um, they actually like the lake a whole lot better than I do, and they've asked before, when can we go out with Father Fred to the lake? So they, they have not forgotten that experience, especially, Father, when you dove into the lake after my son's fishing pole, <laughs> when all of the rest of us just stand there watching and hear Father Fred just, boom, bails over. Didn't end up finding it, but it was, it was one of the most awesome things to watch you just dive over the side. <laughs> okay, well, we'll give her a final blessing here, and we'll sign off. May Almighty God bless you and keep you. Let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you kindly and give you his peace, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for your time, Father. Have a great day. All righty. Good to hear you. We'll see you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Please know how much we appreciate all those who support this station. If you're not a member of our evangelization family, we invite you to go to dvmercy.com and check us out. 
You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM, Lindsborg, Salina, 105.7 KMDG, Hayes, 88.1 KRTT, Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM, Hayes. If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts.